Welcome to Season 2 of Connect to Capital, a podcast brought to you by Scale Investors. I am Samar Michaela, co-CEO at Scale Investors, and I will be your host for the second half of this season. I want to take this opportunity to thank Catherine Robson, the former chair of Scale Investors, for hosting the podcast and for her unwavering support and advocacy. Our vision at Scale Investors is a world where gender does not limit access to capital, and we're on a mission to maximise returns by investing into Australia's best women-led startups. We know the transformational power of collaboration, and we are passionate about connecting founders with the advice, education, and deep network to enable them to thrive. In this podcast, we interview Australia's most successful and thoughtful venture investors. We believe that knowledge is power, and education is a key driver in removing the investment gender gap. We are thrilled to play our part in providing entrepreneurs the opportunity to create a better future. It's time to open access. And if you're keen to invest and maximize your returns into Australia's best women-led startups, we have the perfect product for you, the Scaling Women's Fund. This is our solution to realize the significant opportunity in an overlooked market. Get in touch today by emailing ceo at scaleinvestors.com.au to learn more. And make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss a minute. Michelle Decker loves doing hard things. She has a first-class honours degree in science, a master's majoring in physics and chemistry, a PhD in applied science, and has represented her country in a super demanding sport. But Michelle is best known for her outstanding contribution to innovation that can make a real difference to people's lives. Michelle co-founded One Ventures, one of Australia's leading venture capital firms, which has 600 million in the funds under management. Michelle brings unique insight to the healthcare and technology companies in which she invests, having herself built and successfully exited a global technology business in arguably the most difficult environment of the early 2000s dot-com bubble. Michelle's passion for innovation, entrepreneurship, women in business, diversity and ethical leadership are clear in everything she does. Michelle, it's fabulous to see you. As I said before we started recording, I've been wanting to talk to you for ages, so I so appreciate your time. Yeah, hi, Catherine. Thank you for having me. I'm fascinated by your background. It seems like you love doing hard things. So not only have you studied, you know, hardcore science, you know, physics, chemistry, you've got a PhD, and you've been a successful entrepreneur and, and now a successful venture capitalist, but you're also an elite sports person, having represented Australia in ultimate frisbee, which seems like one of the hardest sports getting around. So tell us a little bit about your background and where that sort of capacity to do amazing things has come from. I had parents that didn't believe that there was any ceiling to anything so that you could always achieve whatever you set out to achieve. And I think seeing that determination growing up through my childhood and early adulthood was really important for me. And that meant that I never really saw anything as being impossible. And perhaps I'm a slight optimist by nature. So those two things combined meant that if I sort of saw something and I thought that was a great idea, I tended to follow it. And the door opened, I tended to go through the door. I was one of those people that you see an opportunity and maybe that's something you could take. And so were your parents entrepreneurs? Did you have a sort of model for entrepreneurship in your mind? Well, my father was an engineer and he was in business and he got to a senior leadership role. So I've sort of got that mathematics, engineering sort of mindset. My mother was quite entrepreneurial and her family had been entrepreneurial. So my great uncle founded SPC in Australia. 
and my mother founded a school and I just saw that sort of role model of being willing to step forward and actually create something from nothing as part of my history. And so then the sort of path then to sort of study, follow your interest into studies and and get a first class honours degree in science and then back it up with a master's and a PhD, what was your thought process in following that initial thread? I think I was just good at maths and science. And, you know, like you do when you're young and you go to university, you tend to follow things that you're good at and you're interested in. And I was always interested in sort of developing science and cutting edge technologies. And I think that just took me in that direction naturally. And then the sort of pivot to being a business person, how did you build the skills to make that transition? Well, I ran my first business at university. What was your first business? It was just running a tertiary tutoring college. But I'd had that entrepreneurial background from my mother and one of my girlfriends wanted to do this. So we put a tertiary tutoring college together and we hired some other people and it taught me the basics of running a business. And then before I finished my PhD, I got married and my husband was an engineer and he was working in technology on the engineering side. And I set up a little business on the side doing computer hardware and software. And that sort of led me into technology and developing technology companies. And in terms of then building a really successful business, which you did, was that your ambition or did it sort of evolve? It evolved a bit. Actually, I'd seen my brother being quite entrepreneurial and following those pursuits and taking investment. And that was sort of good for me having observed that. And then when I set up my technology company, it was at the time when it was, you know, the dot-com one days and people were starting to build businesses in the internet and in the internet world. And I was sort of in the right place at the right time because I had a tech business and I started playing around with the internet, buying domain names, putting up an online store. So really that early experimentation with the internet. And then when my mother-in-law got a gift voucher for Mother's Day and My husband said, oh, gift vouchers on the internet would be a good thing to do. I thought, actually, it would. And went home that day and brought every domain name around gift vouchers and started developing what was probably one of Australia's first fintech businesses. And what's interesting, I think you started that business sort of in the late 90s. I think yours was one of the only Australian technology businesses or internet-based businesses that actually survived the dot-com bust. How was that for you, that experience of living through the death of all the businesses that that were surrounding yours? Well, I learned to pivot really fast. They talk about the big pivot, but we saw it coming. And actually, uh, we saw that the internet wasn't going to deliver what everyone expected it would. And that's why there was the tech crash that happened that followed that. It wasn't so much that one day it wouldn't get there, and obviously it has now, but it was back then. It, it wasn't quite there. And we pivoted really quickly, and we pulled back on a lot of things we were doing, like a lot of advertising, and I really learned the lesson of cash being king in a company. You had to survive. You had to survive with your cash you had. I did what a lot of people are experiencing right now. You had to put some people off and make them redundant. That was a really difficult exercise scale back the company and then take the company forward, a much more lean business and pivot into what was the real world where we realised there was a bigger opportunity than the internet. And then the exit from your business, was that something that you were always working towards or was it a little bit opportunistic? Actually, we always had in mind when we started the business where we thought the business would end up. And sometimes it is really good to have that trajectory in place because it helps you design your business. 
So we actually thought we knew who the potential acquirers would be one day and where our business would fit into their businesses. And that helped us with the design of our company. And then when we came to sell, we actually didn't sell to one of those players, but we sold to one of their partners who decided that they wanted to become a competitor to them. So we did actually start with that in mind at the start. And did you raise capital for your business? We did. We raised $6.5 million. And how was that experience? Look, it taught me a lot. I think it taught me how to raising uh, funds sort of pre-tech crash where you could walk into a sort of dinner and have people sitting around and have people wanting to pull out their checkbooks and give you funding to post-tech crash, having to raise capital when there's a dearth of capital available in the market. It really taught me a lot about capital raising, creating a story, a believable story, being able to show the unit economics of your business to an investor, understand how the investors think and what they need to hear to be able to make an investment and to also understand how you generate a return on investment for investors. Once you'd returned a great return to your investors, I think a sort of 70% internal rate of return, which is amazing. What was the feeling then having built something and then sort of relinquished it to someone else? How was that emotional experience for you? It is a bit like selling your baby. I'm telling you honestly, because having been a founder and I know we've got probably a lot of founders listening, but I had reached the stage where I knew I was ready for something else. And I also knew that the market dynamics were changing rapidly. So we were moving into a phase where we dominated and owned the Australian market. We were moving into the UK, South Africa. We owned New Zealand already. So we were opening up new opportunities. But at the same time, some of the big new US players were starting to try and come into the Australian market. And we knew the competition was going to heat up. It was going to become a lot harder for us as a business. So we thought it was a really opportune time to sell to this UK publicly listed company when they came and knocked on our door. And so then how long after you sold the business, had presumably a good amount of money in your bank account, how long did it take you to decide what to do next? Yeah, so when I I had a year's handover from when we completed the transaction to stepping out and I really started thinking about it in the course of that year what I was going to do but also preparing myself for the fact that I was going to leave this company, that eventually I wouldn't get any emails from anybody. For a while, there was a little bit of that that happened, but then you start to wonder, what's my new purpose? And I think that's a really challenging but exciting time of life because the world then becomes your oyster and you can really open up to the opportunities around you. And I naturally started mentoring a lot of startup companies which I really, really loved and enjoyed. I started working for some. I helped some with their capital raising. I even did business development for some. I started making angel investments. And so I was doing this. And then one of my mentors turned around and said, hey, Michelle, have you ever thought about venture capital? And I was like, well, I pitched to some, you know, when I was building my business, but what me, venture capitalist? And he goes, well, you can raise capital. You're mentoring, you're investing. You're doing all those combinations. And I was really lucky that Southern Cross Venture Partners let me almost intern as an entrepreneur in residence for a period of time. Can you explain the sort of parallels and differences between building your own startup and then building a a venture capital firm? How do they compare? I think building a venture capital firm is much the same. I feel like I'm building a business and it's just a different type of business, but it still has people. We're still growing. 
we're still thinking about where our vision is and where we're taking our company. We still do strategic planning. So there's a lot of parallels. And there's well, you see those parallels across your investments as well. Even though we invest in very different types of companies, they have similar issues, they're all trying to address similar problems, and they actually can learn off each other as well. And can you explain a little bit about One Ventures? What are your philosophies? What are you targeting? How do you feel like you've differentiated yourself from others? Yes, yeah, so One Ventures is a technology and healthcare investor. So we do both, which is different in the Australian market. We also offer a venture product, which means that we can give our portfolio companies different types of financing options. So not just equity, but also the opportunity to take in some credit when they're reaching later stages of financing which is obviously less dilutive for founders so and, and early investors. So it can be quite attractive as a product. And really, One Ventures loves to invest in companies that have a strong purpose and mission. So we like to come in and back them. Um, we like them to be impactful. So not only doing good for investors, but also positive societal benefits. And I think that comes back to our philosophy and the types of investments we've invested in. But really, we're looking for these companies with big visions, so ambitious CEOs transforming a global market where they've seen a really big problem that they're going after to solve. And that's really exciting to back as a venture capital investor. And at any stage or pre We're probably, we're not seed and pre-seed. We're probably at least Series A onwards where we come in and invest. And we really see ourselves as really being able to help scale companies rapidly because we've all built and grown companies in our firm. And so it's all around coming in as a partner. We really love to partner with our companies and helping them on that growth journey to become a successful business or hopefully a more successful business with us supporting them. You've talked about a few of the things you love. What are the things that are challenging about your job? I think it's really easy to make an investment. It's really hard to exit an investment, particularly when you're a minority investor. So we have to do a lot of work aligning companies and aligning boards around strategy. And then when is the right time to exit a company? You often find different stakeholders have different ideas about that. So that making sure there's good stakeholder alignment is a challenging part, but actually getting out of the business. Obviously, we sit on the boards of all our companies. We often chair our companies. Helping the CEOs sometimes deal with more difficult matters, which might be a company doesn't work out. Not all our companies are going to work out. And actually sitting down and working with the founder as they wind up their business is a really difficult thing. Or helping a founder where the company's going through a period where they're struggling and having to make some of the staff redundant. Or co-founders falling out. We've had that happen and that can be very difficult and challenging because you want the company to keep running and meanwhile you've got the founders sort of not happy with each other. So there's always issues within these businesses just like any business and part of our job is to actually help make that work better. And is part of that helping entrepreneurs preempt some of those problems? So having sort of good hygiene in place around how they set structures up and document things but also facilitating the conversation to make sure that they're aware of some of the future pitfalls? Yeah, look, because a lot of us have built and grown businesses, I think we come into the board and for founders bring a bit of credibility with our advice because we've been there. Like I've been a co-founder many times how you deal with co-founder issues. 
I had family investors and needed to deal with family investors, all those sorts of things that founders have challenges with. We've been there before. And so we can help when there's founder conflict. We can help sort of hopefully bring a bit of sanity to the discussion and help them work through what their issues are. And often we find that there's a certain point at which one founder doesn't have the ability to continue to scale with the business and it's time to make change. And it's convincing them that they actually have played a really important role in the development of the company. But now it might be that they might have a better role doing something else. Even might be within the company, but maybe they're not the CEO anymore. Maybe they're the head of product or they've been a co-founder, but they really should be the head of marketing. So we talk a lot about values and and values alignment when you talk about who your your investors should be or who your co-founder might be. Can you comment a bit about values and certainly the values of One Ventures, but just more generally how you think about the relevance of values in, in this investing space? Yes, One Ventures has a sort of value set. We obviously, investing for purpose is very important to us. We also believe that diversity makes us more successful investors. And we also believe in sort of being that high level of accountability that you need to have in in a team. When I sort of consider investing in founders, we're looking for the fact that we have the ability to trust this person, that they're going to have high integrity and low ego. And I think that actually aligns with quite a bit of my personal philosophies and values. Trust is really important to me and high integrity. Um, On a personal level, my family is first. And also well-being is really important to me. We consider a lot well-being within our own team, but helping our founders understanding that their own personal well-being is important too because I've been a founder and I know the pressures that that comes with that. So being able to help them understand that their performance will be impacted if they're not looking after their own personal well-being as well and their own families as well. So helping them with that I think is helpful as well. Are there practical suggestions that you give to founders? Because it feels like the founder journey is lonely and hard and all-consuming and so that the idea that you can have a thriving family and, you know, be fit and healthy and mentally strong seems really difficult to manage. So what are some of the practical recommendations you make to founders to make sure they're achieving success holistically? I think a lot of founders are quite bad delegators. So founders often take everything on their own shoulders. They think they can possibly do better than if they do it themselves or it's easier just for me to do it myself than ask somebody else to do it. And actually helping founders learn to empower others and to delegate. And it's something that I have personally had to learn myself. It really does help free up their time and it makes them more scalable and more efficient. And I think it's a learning and growth journey that founders often need to go on. Even simple things like, please get yourself an EA because you're still booking your own travel, you're still organising all your own meetings and I would much rather have you working on a strategy or the next big sale or whatever it is in your company and not worrying about those things. Are there companies that you can talk about that are in your portfolio or your anti-portfolio that really exemplify some of the things that you think are ingredients for, for success? Obviously, when you've got a portfolio of companies, you have many babies that you love. (laughs) And I think One Ventures have many of those. One of those is a company called Vaxxas. 
It's our vaccine microarray patch that is going to replace needles for vaccination. And what we love about this company is it really is replacing 18th century technology. It's transforming a global market, but it's going to do huge amounts of good to developing economies as well. We've just been through a pandemic. We've seen how hard it's been to actually vaccinate in the third world. But not only that, in the first world, the difficulties that everyone went through trying to be vaccinated and the amount of resource that governments had to put behind vaccination programs. This company will probably get to a point where one day you'll be able to have it dropped in your mailbox and you'll be able to self-administer your vaccine. You won't have to sit out at a big centre somewhere queued for hours trying to get your vaccination. And so it really is game-changing technology, and we're very proud of that. It also removes things like cold storage, which in developing economies you can't keep the vaccines cold, certainly not for mRNA vaccines. So we're eliminating a lot of problems around vaccinating world populations. So it's a really exciting company and close to our hearts, and it's going developing into an amazing business. They've got five clinical vaccine programs under development. Any misses, companies that you didn't invest in that you wish you had of? Oh, certainly. Every VC has one of some of those, but One Ventures didn't invest in Canva. And we did see it when it was literally an idea on the back of a paper napkin very early in the piece. And we missed that opportunity and we probably regret that now. But wonderful to see a female founder that's been so successful and can be a role model for others. And you're really passionate about women participating fulsomely in the venture ecosystem. Can you talk about some of the initiatives that you've been involved in that that really try and stimulate more women to be involved and for women to succeed? Yeah, well, I do do a lot of mentoring. I particularly focus on women founding firms as one of my areas of passion because I believe that both sort of being in that ownership and leadership level is really important to develop more women through the venture ecosystem. So really trying to help new fund managers that are female founders be successful is really due to my heart. And obviously this year I was involved with Ingrid Mays and Andrea Gardner from W23 Angelix to set up WinVC. And we really want to develop the support networks for women in venture capital so that they can learn from each other and become more successful and also bring in people to help internationally to develop them and and that education to become better venture capital investors. And I think that'll also help support more founders that are female getting investment. I think WinVC is such a great initiative and it's I love the collaboration rather than the competition. And I hope it results in there being more women being the decision maker when it comes to making investments. But there's currently not many of you. And it feels like you're at the top of the list that everyone goes to when they're having a conference or they want to comment. Do you get tired of that being the sort of poster child all the time for the women in venture? I'm hoping that it's, it is expanding now. I just caught up with Sarah Nollett from Tenacious Ventures and I said to her, I'm so happy to see you on some of these panels coming through and getting a profile. So I hope over time that I won't be just the only go-to person. But often I'm reminded that I'm also in a privileged position of being able to represent women in the industry. 
And I'm very humble about that and realise that it is a role that I need to play for the benefit of others. Is there anything that people are surprised to find out about you? I think if I meet somebody on the street and they say, oh, do I know you from somewhere? Um, What do you do? I think I might have, uh, you know, were you in the advertising industry? And I say, oh, no, no, I'm a fund manager. I invest in technology and healthcare companies. And they go, oh, who do you work for? And I say, oh, well, I work for One Ventures. And then if I mention that I actually founded it, they're quite shocked. It's just completely not the expectation for the person on the street. And I think the other one that if you're in the industry and people find out about is most people think that it's quite different that I represented Australia in Ultimate Frisbee. So it's a little bit of a fun fact, I think. I was not aware until relatively recently what Ultimate Frisbee is, but it's such a demanding sport. Can you just explain what it is and why it's so demanding? I often say to people it's a bit like netball on a hockey field uh, where to score you have to make a touchdown in the end zone. So it's a very physical, fast-running game, which I always loved. I was a hockey player in earlier days back at school, so I always loved running sports. Great fun uh, type sport and obviously very big in Silicon Valley. I think Tim Draper from Draper Fisher-Jervetson was a big Frisbee player, so quite no, well-known venture capitalists have played ultimate frisbee. <laughs> in terms of advice you've received over time, is there a sort of piece of advice that stands out that's been helpful that you go back to? A couple of things, I think. One is manage cash flow carefully if you're an entrepreneur. Really understanding cash flow, it often surprises you how few founders really understand their cash and can tell you what their cash is. That's a really important thing to know as a founder. I also think that over-communicating is a good thing. And I've certainly been taught that in the past, that people need to hear more from you than you often think. And even as an entrepreneur, make sure that your team understand your vision and where you're taking them. One of the things I admire about entrepreneurs that I've met is some of them are great visionaries, but they're also really great at making their team excited and bringing them on the journey with them. And that's one thing I've learned from the best entrepreneurs that we've backed. Yeah, it's interesting that over-communicate, that sort of just because you've said it once doesn't mean that everyone's heard it or heard it exactly the way you intended it. So sort of repeating it, the same theme but in lots of different ways is a, a real skill. In terms of people you admire or who've been really influential in your life, are there any particular role models that you'd point to? My parents were amazing role models for me and I've really already mentioned them. If I was to say, who do I really admire? Shamara Ramayanki Yankee from Macquarie Bank. I think she's marvellous and I've been with her, spoken with her many times, seen her speak and she really is really inspirational and a great role model for women in finance in the industry. In terms of other places you've learnt lots from, so books or, or other ways that you've augmented your knowledge, anything you would recommend? I often tell people that if you want to move industries or find out information in another area, don't be shy to volunteer. I learnt so much just by putting my hand up and saying, you know, I'll come in and give you some free time. I'd really love to see what you do or I'd really like to learn from you. And that's really helped me grow and develop as a person. 
So always be considering your growth, but how you'll get mentorship or how you'll get access that you might not otherwise. And you'd be surprised if you ask people that often people are much more open than you think you are, than you might think. In terms of productivity hacks, I think I saw you in the paper the other day talking about a device that you use to read material on. Am I recalling that correctly and anything that you'd like to comment on that? If I was to say what my productivity hacks are, Certainly, I exercise in the morning pretty much every day because it just gets up and gets me going and it gets me into the day and I just feel more alive at the start of the day. So I thoroughly recommend that. And I also plan the day and keep lists and reprioritize regularly so that I can keep on top of everything that's coming through. And in terms of advice that you'd give to an entrepreneur who's seeking funding, are there particular points that you'd want to make sure they understood? Look, if an entrepreneur was coming in to see me, I would say, like, keep the pitch short. When somebody walks in with 50 or more pages in a presentation, first of all, it shows that they don't know how to bring their story down to 10. And secondly, they're not going to allow me enough time to sort of interact with them and engage and ask questions about their business. So, Keep the pitch short and concise, but know what are the key things that you need to get across, the things like your team, the value, your market. But the other thing I always say to founders is know what your competition is. I can't tell you how many founders have come in and said, no, I don't have any competition because there is always competition of some sort going for the customers that you're looking at. And do you encourage entrepreneurs to sort of volunteer that in their pitch or wait for the question to come in terms of who are you like or who are your competitors? I would always expect them to put it in. They should always know their market and who their competitors are, even if the competition is the status quo. Last question, what are you really excited and optimistic about? I honestly believe that entrepreneurs can change the world. And so I continue to be optimistic that the big problems of the world are going to be solved by great entrepreneurs. And I hope that we're going to see more and more of them in Australia, as we have seen some coming through. So I'm excited and optimistic about that and love it when new entrepreneurs walk through our door with great ideas. Well, with more than, I think, $600 million of investments within your funds, you're obviously doing more than your fair share in terms of making sure that Australia has funding for entrepreneurs. So congratulations on all you've achieved and thanks for your time. Thanks, Catherine. We hope you loved today's conversation as much as we did. As an investment venture firm founded by women, No one better understands what it takes for women-led startups to thrive like we do. We believe that education is a key driver in removing the investment gender gap. That's why we created Scale Educated, an education platform with online courses for both investors and founders. You can find them on our website. And if you're keen to invest and maximize your returns into Australia's best women-led startups, we have the perfect product for you, the Scaling Women's Fund. This is our solution to realize this significant opportunity in an overlooked market. Get in touch today by emailing us at ceo at scaleinvestors.com.au and make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you do not miss a minute.